Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, my name is Justin Hamilton and welcome to the latest episode of Big Squid. Thank you for joining me for this second episode of our new ongoing season. And uh, this is the podcast that people are describing as just like a radio show, but good. The <laughs> Actually, I'm probably the only one who described it like that. But fingers crossed, it will stick. I like it. It sounds funny. And people in radio would be offended. And that makes me happy. Anyway, today I'm going to give you an overview of the brilliant French TV series, The Bureau, and then we have two big squid pals returning. Siobhan Coombs is going to be talking all things comics from the brand new King's Comics in Sydney. They've just reopened in a brand new spot. It's looking fantastic. So it was fun to go down and have a chat to her on the uh, on the new premises. And then Ben Elwood, uh comes back to the show and he's joining me for the first part of our Christopher Nolan series where we're covering all of his movies and just to annoy Nolan because we don't want to be big fanboys we don't want to be too into him so we want to annoy him so the way we're going to annoy him is the way we're doing this is we're going to go over his movies in a linear and sequential form take that Nolan I know how you'd do it. You'd start with Interstellar. You'd bounce down to the Prestige. You'd go to the Dark Knight Rises. You're not the boss of us. This is how we're going to cover your movies. I'm sure he listens, so he will get that message personally. Uh, While I have your attention, just a quick note that if you live in Sydney, I'm performing at Giant Dwarf on the 23rd of July in their early show at 6pm with a fun lineup of comics. I know, a live gig. 
It's my first official gig since the Adelaide Fringe, so I'm excited to jump up on stage, uh, you know, while we still can as well. Who knows how long uh, here in New South Wales we'll be able to uh, carry on as if things are a little bit normal. We've seen our friends in Victoria and uh, around the world and what they're dealing with at the moment, and you know that it can happen at any point, so... You know, you have to do these things while you can and uh, keep some semblance of normality at certain points, I guess, you know. But anyway, look, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, jumping up on stage and... uh, as I said, I don't know when the next opportunity will arise. And, you know, I'll, I'll just be excited to see if I've um, forgotten two decades plus of skills. I'm sure I'll be fine. We'll give it a crack. So uh, if you're around and you would like to come along, check out the Giant Dwarf website. Uh, tickets are limited to about 30 places, I think. So they're being very careful about how many they let in. And the, the, the shows are, I think it's like a tight hour, hour and a bit. So they can put on two shows and give as many comedians an opportunity to perform as possible. So uh, congratulations to Giant Dwarf for looking out for artists and helping them out and uh, if you're around and uh, can nab a ticket uh, please come down and say hello okay let's get into our first segment it's an overview of the french series the bureau six ans à damas sous couverture lourde c'est ça je présente guillaume de bailly que vous connaissez mieux sous le nom de malotru Vous avez été amené à rompre certaines relations assez fortes. Comment on fait pour gérer ça Le retour à la vie normale fait partie du métier. Garde d'identité. J'ai pas retrouvé encore. Allô For anyone who hasn't been paying attention to this podcast, they must be thinking, hang on, last week there were some parts in Italian, and now we have a little bit in French. What is happening here? It turns out I'm not just about obvious pop culture. (laughs) I, I know I like Batman, but there's heaps of other things that I like as well. And this is one of them. The TV series The Bureau is a show about espionage that is based on real-life accounts from the French intelligence service. So rather than the usual James Bond approach to these types of stories, this is a more realistic but no less compelling look at what really happens in the world of spies. I just finished the fifth season, and it is one of the most consistently brilliant TV shows going. I'll give you a rundown of the first season premise so you can jump on board without having subsequent seasons ruined. There's so much that I could easily talk about, but I'll just keep it pretty basic in case you're thinking that you would like to get on board with this. So in the first season, intelligence officer Guam de Bailey, played by Matteo Kasovitz, is brought back to Paris after he spent an extended mission to Syria where he was working undercover. When he returns home, he has to reconnect with his family, his friends and work colleagues, but finds it difficult to reconnect with his past life. His return home is turned upside down when the woman he loved in Syria suddenly appears and Bailey reconnects with her. This immediately puts both of them in immense danger. Now, while this is the main story, we also follow the stories of two other agents. One is a new recruit named Marina, while the other story follows an agent who has disappeared in strange circumstances. 
This is unlike any other show on television for me. Since the show adheres to realism, the stories are very serious and treated with utmost respect. You're not going to be watching car chases and fist fights. The tension is built up through the procedure and you never know who is going to survive, who is being used as bait and who is telling the absolute truth. Characters are routinely devastated to learn they've been deceived and rewarded when their deception gains them more traction in the ongoing secret war of global politics. Kasovitz is a compelling lead, handsome in a particularly French way. His at times ruthless actions are contrasted with his constant sorrow in his eyes. Sarah Gerardieu as Marina is also a standout as you watch her journey begin as a naive young woman to an effective agent in the field. There are many other fine actors and characters, but uh, don't get too connected to anyone because there's a possibility you'll be heartbroken by their fate. The soundtrack by French composer and producer Rob, or Robe, it's spelt Rob, R-O-B, but that just sounds not French enough, doesn't it, (laughs) Uh, is deceptively compelling. His music is fantastic and you'll want to sit through the end credits as the music often offers an emotional capstone to the episode you've just watched. This is a superior TV show to most of the ongoing series out there, a gritty drama that is so much more realistic than the American shows, which mirror similar themes. If you want high-octane action, this will not be for you, but if you want a cerebral experience that builds tension and compelling characters through brilliant storytelling, then this series will constantly reward you. And all five seasons are on the SBS server, on the app, on the streamer, and remember, it's, I've just told you about a few of the storylines from the first season. Like, they're just a few of them. This is a series that gets better and better the further it goes. Uh, and there's five seasons. There's 50 episodes uh, all up. And it's just really worth your while. So if you're still in lockdown or you've, you know... We do feel like at times we're getting to a point where we're starting to run out of entertainment. I cannot recommend the Bureau enough. One of the breakout joys of the first season of the Big Squid podcast was getting to work with Siobhan Coombs, who often gave us some great content with her views on the Watchmen graphic novel. But... uh, I'm not quite certain, or I can't quite remember if I ever shared it with you at the time, but uh, most of the times when we were recording, she was either breastfeeding or looking after both of her children, and it was so impressive because she never missed a beat, and I can barely stand up and breathe at the same time, so I had to stop myself from giving a standing ovation after every record because, you know, I feel like... A, it was probably too much, and B, for Siobhan, it was just like, well, this is what I do. It's it's not a big deal. But I was super impressed, and I'm wrapped to have her back on the podcast, and we'll be checking in with her on a semi-regular basis, and, you know, once again, whenever we can, depending on what happens up here in New South Wales during uh, this sort of next semi-wave of the pandemic. Uh, You might not know this, but Siobhan works at King's Comics in the city, uh, that is in Sydney, Uh, and so uh, going down to her workplace to have a chat was also a great opportunity to check out the new premises, uh, which I kind of mentioned before. But um, if you feel like you're missing out on a regular comic experience, their online services are fantastic and easily navigated. 
it must be easy if I can find my way around. So head over to King's Comics website for all your comic book needs. Uh, but in the meantime, let's have a chat to Siobhan. She's back here on the podcast, uh, and I am rapt to have you back, Siobhan. Thank you very much for uh, finding time to uh, hang out with us. How are you coping with everything that's going on? Man, okay. Um, I think, like, everyone has their own specific kind of uh, problems yeah. in this kind of time. Like, mine are that I have two children yeah. under, I mean, like, they're one and three, right. and neither of them are in daycare. And I work from home mostly. Right. So, my life is pretty um, insane. Yes. But... You know, like, I have cuddles at the end of the day, and my son tells me that he loves me more than he hates me, so, you know, like, oh. it's got its positives as well, right? That's a real win. Yeah, he's just discovered Usagi Yojimbo, which is, like, yeah. a huge win, but then I'm forced into sword fights, like, five times a day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, what a disaster from uh, from that point of view. A little bit more pokey, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Although, the real issue... And if there's any parents out there who have uh, dealt with this specific issue and have any kind of advice for me, he's real into guns, which is my fault because I have filled the house with comic books. Right. And all this kind of fight porn almost. But he's real into guns. And he spends all his day building them out of Lego. Right. And the main issue is that they're really cool. Right. They're like really cool guns. <laughs> yeah. And so he comes out and he's like, I shut you. And I'm like, ah, oh, that I don't like that. But that's really cool, man. Good job. Good building. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? It's like when, uh, when a kid says a joke that they're not allowed to say, but it's yeah. funny. And you have to, uh, well, that was technically really well done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> technically perfect. Yeah. I'm laughing, but I'm also punishing you. Oh, that's so tricky, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's tricky. The way, the thing that I keep trying to tell myself is that uh, he's he's too small to understand the concept of death let alone why guns are bad right. so guns to him are just like fun shooty shooty pow pow things can you i know this is kind of splitting hairs mm. but can you call them stunners or something mm, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. sometimes we do like the gun shoots different things like yeah. marshmallows yeah right right <laughs> marshmallow gun but then he goes bullets <laughs> like, what does that shoot bullets fire yeah Chocolate bullets. Yeah. yeah. It's a diabetic gun. You, you shoot someone, they get diabetes, they can't fight back because their uh, blood sugar levels are exactly. all over the place. That's a good idea. Um, before we get into this as well, uh, happy birthday. Thank you. And I just want to mention your handsome husband, who's My such a delight. Oh, lovely your, guy. Your earrings. Yeah. So he got these um, handmade custom uh, big barter earrings. Yeah. And Big Barda is one of my all-time favorite comic book characters. She's a creation of Jack Kirby, one of his fourth world characters. And she's like this super big, buff, uh, like strong woman kind of with this little uh, escape artist husband, Mr. Miracle. It's such a weirdly um, ahead of the curve dynamic, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I've been rereading because my son is also now obsessed with Jack Kirby's fourth world. Right. And so he's always like... Your Granny Goodness, Mum. Yeah. Um, if you know who Granny Goodness is, that's extremely offensive. It is. Um, but I've been rereading it, and it's just crazy yeah. how you could read that now, and you'd be like, "Wow, this is really like futuristic feeling." Right. It's so creative, it's m- more so than I think anything else I've read recently. Oh. Like, it's amazing. It's such a good read. You know, uh, it's one of the things that I have this awful feeling that. Uh, I've hit an age where I'm I'm really, and it might be because of the pandemic, but I'm kind of lost a bit of interest in comics. Mm. And one of the things is 
uh, you guys have done a really great job at King's Comic of uh, staying open and sending stuff. And but you know, once you pay, pay uh, postage and handling, if you get a comic back that you is so Average. got nothing in it, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm still getting uh, Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp's The Green Lantern, which, which is, is great, so good, so brilliant, and it's dense. You know, I, I sit there for a while and there's all these ideas and that's the same with the, the fourth world, yeah, Jack absolutely. Kirby. It's like every issue is a novel. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and there's so much, um, just so much, so so much fertile stuff in there. Yeah. That's poor phrasing, but you know what I mean. Yeah. That it just has managed to influence. I mean, Jack Kirby was just so brilliant. Yeah. Like everything he did just fundamentally influenced the Marvel universe. Like you can't look at the Marvel cosmic stuff without seeing Kirby in every single element, right, you know? Right, do you Do you find, uh, for people who have only seen the movies, do you find it a bit sad that people are well across Thanos, who was inspired by Jack Kirby's dark side? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little bit like living in a world where everyone says, how good are the monkeys? They are the most <laughs> groundbreaking band of all time. You go, no, no, the monkeys are great, but have you heard of the Beatles? Have you heard of the Beatles? And yeah. It's a bit like that, isn't it? It is very much like that. I I don't really understand why more people... I mean, it's really weird, I guess. It's yeah. quite weird and dense. But I think it's just so superior to almost anything else. And almost anything else that he did, the fourth world stuff, because oh, yeah. it was such a uh, personal passion for him. Right. Um, as opposed to the stuff he did, like, with Marvel. Or... And it was kind of... Uh, the, the, the concept of it was essentially the gods after the Vikings, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like he'd finished emotionally his run on Thor... And now it's like all the old gods are dead, and now it's the new now gods. It's time for the new gods. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and getting back to Big Barter and Mister Miracle, like they that's a really fascinating dynamic in yeah. a, in a world where even you know we we can't have Spider Man marry Mary Jane because it makes him too old or stuff like that. Yeah. He was a hero, and uh, two heroes who have awful upbringings. And he really loves her. Yeah. And she's she's the alpha. Yes. And he's very he's not only like gamma, but he's happy to be gamma. Oh, absolutely. It's not it's it, it doesn't even come up in a conversation. That's just their That's dynamic. That's just their relationship, yeah. exactly. And it's like um and I love like I'm not a huge fan of um Tom King's Mr. Miracle Run. Did you read it? Did you like it? You know, I've so I'm having uh, I'm very confused with Tom King at mm. the moment because there is some of his stuff like Grayson. Uh, oh, his Grayson run was so brilliant. Brilliant, super uh, sexy spy stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mentioned on ABC Radio recently oh, yeah. about my friends giving a cake to Nicholas Scott with yeah. Nightwing's bum, and she could not stop laughing. So that went on ABC Radio last oh, I can week. Send you some good pictures. Yeah, please do. But uh, you know, Vision I thought yeah. was a masterpiece. I thought uh, Omega Man I thought was really brilliant. Yeah, it was great, and I enjoyed Mr. Miracle uh, when I read it as a whole mm-hmm. uh, monthly, but there, there started to be these uh, repetition uh, kind of, uh, what would you call it? There's, there's he- like he, he kept relying on it a yeah, bit yeah, too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like maybe that could have been eight issues. Yeah, for sure. And then I, and then also his Batman run ended up being really disappointing. And odd, odd the way that ended up. Right, and I don't know, and same with Heroes in Crisis, which I thought was an absolute mess. Rubbish. And I don't know if it's his fault. Like, I wonder, you know, it seems like the bigger the title, maybe the more editorial influence came in. I think that's a pretty, like, 
consistent thing that you see in mainstream superhero comics especially yeah. is like a hot young writer comes in and they have like Tom King I think has specific kind of themes that he likes to revisit in his work yeah. as do all writers yeah um but as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, there's more kind of, well, you can't do that to this character because we need them here. Right. And you can't say that about this character because blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, so I think that there is probably more shenanigans going on than we're aware of. Yeah. Um, which probably hampers his vision. Yeah, a little bit. I also thought with Mr. Miracle, I just didn't think he quite landed the ending. It felt like it yeah. just... I also didn't think he quite landed the the, the relationship dynamic. Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought that it was a very strange version of Big Barter and Mr. Miracle. Well, so this is part of my problem with it, because because they're so loving in everything that we've read for decades. And it's not that they're not loving, but there was something... Some of the dialogue, in all honesty, could have been Batman and Catwoman. Yeah, and I really disliked the way that he wrote their relationship dynamic, Batman right. and Catwoman. Like, there were a couple of issues where I was just like, you've never heard a woman talk. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the problem. Yeah, there was just... Um, it, it felt uh, very much um, an idealised version of what you would hope a sexy cat burglar yeah. would say, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so the, they've got the new series, Rorschach, coming out, mm. where we, I think, was only just announced, uh, you know... Uh, 24 hours ago and did you you read the synopsis for it and think oh well you guys really were watching the HBO series you know I didn't even read the synopsis I just got the full uh, backlash oh right (laughs) that's all I've seen I just went on Twitter this morning I was like oh god oh okay what's the backlash I haven't seen that Uh, I think that it's again just the conversation of just let Alan Moore like let his creations be and there was some kind of conversation about like you know, Alan Moore is this, like, hardcore, steadfast anarchist. Yeah. And giving his creation to, like, an ex-CIA member is sort oh, of oh my quite God. Yes. odd. Yes. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, that's quite uh, a funny point to, uh, to make. I, I agree with all of that, just letting it go, but I did love the HBO series. Yeah. And I felt like, I don't know, it's, you know, so I guess I'm a hypocrite, no, you know? But... I also really enjoyed um, a couple of the before Watchmen series. Right. Do you know what I mean? So while I'm like firmly on yes. Alan Moore's side, I'm yeah. easily won over by like Amanda Connor interiors or yeah. something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, damn you, Amanda Connor. Uh, so what do you have? So King's Comics has just reopened. Yeah, come visit us, 283 Clarence Street. You must be relieved because yeah. it's been a bit of a journey since you had to leave your original place which was what so two years ago now three years ago um so we were in i guess it was yeah i guess it must, oh my god we were pitt street yeah. for 16 years and then we had to move to george street and we were there for six months yeah and then we were in the dimmicks building for another six months yeah and then we were supposed to be closed for like two months yeah and then it turned into six months and so we've just reopened now yeah um but i think it's been worth the wait like it it's looks a, it's great. A fancy, it's a fancy new store. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Uh, you can find uh, uh, if your local comic store um, doesn't have, hasn't reopened or is having trouble, you can find you guys online. You have yep. a really good online site. Thank you it's, so much. It's really easy to kind of get around. Oh, good. Which uh, I'm amazed at not comic sites in general, but just sites in general. Yeah. So many times you get on, you go, I'm out. I have yeah. no idea what is happening here. Uh, we were lucky that we were one of the only comic book stores that kind of had a functioning online store when right. um, 
for anyone who doesn't know, when COVID sort of hit, yeah. the comics industry basically shut down because there's one distributor yeah. and they turned around and went, we're not shipping anymore. And so uh, that really terrified everyone from, yeah. from the ground up. Also, you know, because, you know, in America they put up reviews and things like within seconds before yeah. stuff gets here, you have to be really careful online yeah. that you don't have things ruined. You Absolutely. Know. You'll never guess what happens to blah, blah, blah. And you go... Well, I read the last issue and there was only two outcomes. And if I'm not going to guess it, it must be the bad thing. <laughs> You've worked it out before you get to the issue, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what, what do you have uh, as uh, a couple of suggestions for people maybe to check out that's uh, ah, new? Some new stuff. What, um, some stuff, good stuff that's coming out this week. I did make a list. You know what I'm obsessed with at the moment? I don't know if you've been reading it, but if... Um, have you read any of Matt Fraction's Jimmy Olsen run? Oh, so I've read the first four or five issues. Was, he, was it for you? Yeah, I thought okay, it was good. really fun. <laughs> I, it's, I don't know anyone else who likes it, and I'm so oh. obsessed with it. I think it's so funny and so clever. Well, it, is it is it because it's funny and clever? I don't know. It just I think it just kind of uh, slipped under the radar somehow, right. which I don't really know why, because it's Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber, who yeah. are both pretty big names in the industry. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just think DC didn't push it enough maybe right. um, but it's so clever and it's so funny and if you have any kind of affection for Silver Age comics like if you've seen all those old covers it's like Jimmy Olsen yeah. is a woman <laughs> yeah. or whatever they do all that kind of stuff in it but in this very clever tongue-in-cheek kind of way and, and you kind of forget I've always liked uh, there's been a few writers in recent times that have gotten Jimmy Olsen and he's yeah. He's fun. Like he's he, hilarious. And of course Superman wants to hang out with him. Like even though he's constantly beeping him because he's in some yeah. sort of trouble, he's also delightful and he's also really smart. Yep. And he he's a great character. Yeah. And this comic kind of reframes him uh, and like the Olsen family as like the other great dynasty of Metropolis. So it's like oh, the yes. Olsons and the Luthers yes. in direct competition all the time. Um, and so that's been a 12 issue run and the last issue is coming out this week. So it should be collected hopefully pretty soon. Um, yeah. But I really like if you like superheroes, if you like uh, comedy, if you like great, um, great sort of. Uh, comedy cartooning. Steve yeah. Lieber's one of the best. Oh, so I good. Um, yeah. So I really rate that very highly. It, it, it feels uh, like a, if, um, if you've only ever read, say, All-Star Superman, you know, the Jimmy Olsen yeah, issue yeah, yeah, in yeah, that yeah. where he is, you know, like the first thing you see is he's been cursed by a gypsy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's very much the vibe. That's very yeah. much the vibe. Uh, so that's great. Uh, what else is uh, coming out? What else is good? Okay, do you know Savage Dragon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know Savage Dragon. So Savage Dragon is um, now one of the oldest longest running indie comics ever yeah. it's 250 issues this week oh yeah 250 issues Eric of this Glassen's grotesque really... bizarre semi-superhero yeah. cop book and and he, he's a little bit like uh judge dread in that he ages and yeah he's got kids now yeah he has many kids and some really graphic sex scenes have you ever right it's bizarre man the thing that's <laughs> So Savage Dragon is, he's like um, a half man, half dragon guy and he's a police officer and so he has, he's green and he's got a big fin on his head um, and it's been running for so long and the thing that's kind of magical about it and the reason why it has such a hardcore fan base is because it is just the creative vision of one specific dude. So he right. writes it all, he draws it all, I think he colours it all himself right. as well. Um, and so it's just been this consistent weird stream of consciousness thing for this one guy for, for so, so long. Yeah. And so it's quite interesting like that 
I don't read it because it's weird. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of people who really love it, and I think it's a pretty interesting one. He's a he's a pretty funny guy online. Yeah. You know, he's got some. Uh, uh, you know, he's got some firm views, but it's not. <laughs> um, like there's humor to it good, as good. well, and he cut his teeth on uh, Spider Man, you know, many yeah, years yeah, yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he's kind of got that. Um, it's it's a little bit Kirby esque in that yeah, it's kind absolutely. of a bit blocky and a bit it's kinetic as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but yeah, there's some really strange strange issues of that one. Right. But I recommend checking it out because it's, it's weird. It's nice to have something that's just one vision. Whereas yeah. you know, even with some trades, you get where you're following one story and then you get a, you're reading a story and you're thinking, this feels like a bit of a jolt, and you suddenly realise it's a n- another writer yeah. for three issues or a different artist, and it's yeah. like, oh. Oh, this is horrible. This, what, what, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, Savage Dragon, uh, yeah, still going strong too, yeah. right? Pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty amazing for such a th- weird thing. Have you, have you, um, so I can't, is it a TV show or is it a movie? The Old Guard. Have you seen oh. that? It's a new one on Netflix? Yeah. With Charlize Theron? I was just reading about it. It's got the girl from um, from Bill Street as well, mm. who I thought was really good. So, and Charlize Theron is one of the preeminent the action heroes, don't you think? Just yeah. like, you know, she's. She's this generation Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. That's a great comparison. Yeah. Um, so that's based on a um, comic put out by Image, I believe. Right. Written by Greg Rucker um, with art by, I think, Leandro Fernandez. Okay. Probably have to look that up. I've probably gotten that wrong. Greg but Rucker. Great writer. Greg Rucker. Totally brilliant. If you want like a really solid kind of procedural style comic with a fantastic element, yeah. then a Greg Rucker book is the one for you and Olgard is really brilliant. It's yeah. about sort of um, assassins who can't die. Right. And um, bringing a new member into their ranks. Right. Oh, is, is, is it related to his Lazarus stuff or is that a... No, a, it's a... It came out... They came out kind of similar times right. and they kind of deal with similar concepts. Right. Um, mostly not being able to die. Yeah. But um, no, it's a separate separate, separate world. world. But right. I really... I recommend checking that out. There's been a lot of interest around the, the show slash movie, whichever it is. Um, yeah. But I, I do really rate the comic and I recommend people checking that out now. I can't remember who the director is, but her, her work's been really... Uh, been really pushed for the TV, uh, for the TV mm. movie, saying uh, that the woman's... Uh, God, I wish I could remember her name, but the action scenes have been oh, phenomenal. Cool. So I uh, do want to watch it. I never yeah. watch any TV these days, but I do want to watch that. Well, it's you know, cool. you're being stabbed with swords and yeah, exactly. having to try and explain <laughs> Lego guns. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and, uh, and do you have anything else that... Uh, um, well, I, have you seen the Bowie comic? I thought you'd be interested in I that. I do have that, yeah. Did you like it? So, uh, funnily enough, I haven't read it yet okay. because... I got it and everything was going into lockdown. And so what I've done is I've been putting things that uh, will right, be a right. little bit later, you right, know, right, right. this year. And I've been doing some rereading as well. Oh, that's fun. So, you know, I've just uh, literally uh, got one issue to go of um, the reread of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. Oh, fun. Yeah. That's a fun reread. Oh, and really holds up yeah. as well. So, but uh, I, I thought I'll review that a little bit uh, in uh, another podcast down the track. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, I look forward to hearing what you think of it. I think it's still pretty uh, relevant and, you know, there's some things that you go back. You know, Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing is superlative, mm. but there are slightly problematic chapters like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the wolf uh, woman issue you know yeah, when you yeah. kind of read that and you go I can see what you were trying to do but it hasn't quite gotten there but Doom Patrol is 
still pretty progressive and yeah. uh, you don't read anything and go, oh, that's that's Morrison. too much. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. You know, I really love his um, adherence to his own vision yeah. forever and ever and just refusing to yeah. really give any ground yeah. you know like he's such a unique voice yeah i think always but oh, you can so you much. can see the kirby influence on him as well because once again there are like you you, you meet a character and you think oh well well this is going to be going on oh no they're gone yeah. uh, now we've <laughs> now we're on to this other mind-blowing you know you go from the brotherhood of data to the yep. men from nowhere to the alien uh fight you know and it's yeah. like the candle maker and and it's all within like 40 issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I still, I've been, um, I've got the Invisibles omnibus still sitting on oh, yeah. my shelf. And every time I try and crack it, I'm like, comics aren't supposed to be work. Oh, I know. <laughs> Why are you making me work, Grant I, Morrison? I had to get rid of the omnibus because it made me start thinking of it as work. And yeah. also, I don't want to have to work out to be able to hold a comic. <laughs> yeah, you it's know? too big. Um, but did you like the Allred Bowie? You know, I haven't actually read it. I yeah. wanted your opinion on oh, it okay. because I know you're a big Bowie guy. Well, um, but I think it looks beautiful. It looks, yeah, it looks stunning. Well, why don't we uh, next time we catch up? Yeah. Let's uh, you a have a read and I'll have a read and we'll uh, we'll discuss it. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, and is there anything uh, else we should know about King's Comics? Are you are you Monday to Saturdays? Are you open Sundays? We're open. We're open seven days a week, ten yep. to five. Um, kingscomics.com you can buy everything online if you want to set up a standing order we can do that we have discount cards yep. um, come and check out our big statue of the Hulk oh yeah yeah. <laughs> it's, it's lovely having a physical store again it's really nice to be able to um, have a place looks really good yeah thanks man yeah like they you walk so in hard. Uh, it's crazy watching you know watching it develop uh, online mm. and uh, you, you walk in and you go well it feels like you've been here in a good way it feels yeah. it feels uh, like it's been a part of us for yeah, a while. for sure. And this is sure. my first time here, so... Oh, thanks, man. That's a good feel. I'm glad you like it. And uh, once again, uh, happy birthday. Keep Thank rocking you. those earrings. <laughs> Thank you. We're welcoming Ben Elwood back this week in the first of our deep dives into the movies of Christopher Nolan. Uh, the idea was to get a run-up to Nolan's new movie, Tenet, uh, which was meant to be released, well, I think it was actually meant to be released around uh, now, in the middle of July. and uh, But due to the ongoing pandemic situation, it looks like uh, the release has been pushed back indefinitely. I think it got, I think maybe it was the beginning of July, and then it was moved back to the middle of July, then it was the beginning of August, and now, who really knows? And you might be thinking, well, why doesn't he just release it? online. Uh, But the thing is, is that Nolan wants the movie released traditionally because he wants to support cinemas all over the world. So they have content for when they can open. So with a lot of movies going straight to the streaming services, that means uh, the cinemas don't have content uh, in their back pocket to show at any given point. And to be honest, we're starting to run out of stuff. Like That's crazy to think, isn't it? So it, it, it's not a it's not an ego thing. He he wants to reward cinemas and the cinematic experience of which he's a big believer. So, in showing good faith, that means we're going to you know not see it for a while, I guess. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the movie can earn financially and how it's perceived if uh, if it doesn't make what it's expected to make. I think it 
I think it's a pretty expensive film and I think it has to make around 800 million to break even or something insane like that. Um, So how they're going to release it is going to be fascinating. It might be, you know, at first it was going to be a worldwide release. Then now there's talk that it might just be in certain countries that have cinemas that are open. So it'll be interesting to see what we think of the film and how people perceive it. Even if it's a brilliant film, if it doesn't make its money back or because of the way things are gone, it could be perceived as a failure, which is not the way to perceive art, people. Anyway, time to get off my high horse and let's get back into this. Uh, Ben and I will continue to meet up while we can and chat about his movies. Uh, We've got... What have we got recorded up to? So far, we've got up to Batman Begins recorded. So we've got some in the bag that I'll release over the next few weeks. Um, Just so you know, when we get to the bigger movies that have obviously been talked about a lot, I feel like once you get to probably The Dark Knight, you might think, oh, God, what is there new to say? And what we're trying to do here is find new angles to delve into his films. So trying to find some new angles, find some new things to talk about, and hopefully we do that. Though I'm sure there'll be a few hot takes that will come from me that you've heard before. But uh, overall, we'll be trying to delve a little bit further into the themes and the inspirations and all that aspect of it. In the podcast today, we also touch on his short movie, Doodlebug, which I won't say anything about. It only goes for three minutes, but I've posted it over at our Big Squid Facebook page for you to watch. So if you want to go out and uh, or go over to that site and, and, and check it out or go on YouTube, it's easy to find, uh, then you can kind of have a watch and know what we're talking about. Then we go straight into Nolan's first movie, Following, and in this movie we follow a young writer who follows strangers around the streets of London in an attempt to find inspiration for his first novel. He sets himself some strict rules about who he should follow and for how long, but he is soon intrigued by a well-groomed stranger and discards his rules to follow him further. Yet when the stranger notices the writer following him, their casual confrontation leads the writer into a world he barely knows or understands. Following was released in 1998 on a budget of $6,000. $6,000! That's insane, right? So essentially, this is Christopher Nolan Begins, and we see the first steps the director will take to be the powerhouse he is today. All right, let's grab Ben and chat about Following. Your eyes um, drift across a crowd of people and they slowly stop and fix on one person and all of a sudden that person isn't part of the crowd anymore. They become an individual, just like that. Just became irresistible. So you followed women? I followed anybody. I just wanted to see where they went, what they did. It was supposed to just be completely random. You would never follow the same person twice. That was the most important rule. That was the one that I broke first. That's when the trouble started. I got burgled yesterday. What's it feel like being uh, broken into? You're developing a taste for it. The violating the wireism, it's definitely you. So we started off with the uh, Nolan short uh, Doodlebug, mm. which is only 
Three minutes? Three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, it, it's quite fascinating because uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's essentially a silent film mm-hmm. about a man who is... It's, it's almost that episode of Breaking Bad with the fly. Oh, absolutely, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a, a guy uh. freaking out, trying to kill something that's running around his house, trying to smash it with his shoe. Yeah. And then... It's it's really funny when you first see it move. It's it's much bigger than I expected. Did you have that same feeling when you see it? Because I'm thinking it's going to be like a cockroach, but when you first see it, it's like, oh, yeah. hang on, that thing's got some size. To yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's got mass, absolutely. And it's the first, like at first, it's uh, kind of a bit uh, uh, funny, and then that is the moment where it becomes a bit creepy, yeah. and then you realise. What he's trying to smash is like a little version of him. <laughs> I don't relate to that at all. Right. <laughs> it's like that insane uh, Superman comic from the 50s where he creates the little Superman out of his oh, hand yeah, of and he has all his powers and then Superman gets jealous of little Superman because everyone's... It's like it's like Yoda <laughs> getting upset with baby Yoda. <laughs> By the way... The miniature version of you is always the cuter one. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's the bushka doll of uh, joy. Um, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm mashing heaps of pop culture references into this opening right here. If anyone noticed, but anyway, so then when he finally smashes the the tiny version of him, yeah. he's then smashed by an even bigger version. Of himself. Of himself. And we can only assume the levels just go up and up and, and up and up going. for infinity. Right. And it's really fascinating because, you know, there, there's a lot made about uh, Nolan's love of Kubrick mm-hmm. and uh, Michael Mann with Heat yep. and the, 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 those obvious influences. Mm-hmm. But looking at that very first short... Yep. It screams David Lynch. Totally. It really had a lot of a razor head in it. Yes. In that real kind of unsettling, uncanny valley way when yes. you realise that he is chasing a miniature version of himself around. Yeah. The effect, it had that self-consciousness that a lot of those Lynch effects have where it's clearly an effect. Yeah. It's not trying to hide the fact that it's an effect. Yes. And that in itself is deeply unsettling. Like in the guts. Yeah, I've never really thought about that before, but you're right. When, uh, when a filmmaker... If a filmmaker tried to make that look real, yeah. you'd think, oh, that looks fake. But yeah. when they don't even attempt, yeah. that's when it really makes the skin along your spine crawl in the wrong yeah, direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I th- and, I, and I do think that's the great success of Lynch's effects. Yeah. Is that it's 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 not trying to hide what it is. Yeah. And so your brain is not... Mm, your brain is not trying to trick itself into thinking that it's real. Yeah. And so that in itself has a nightmarish quality to it. Yeah. That is very hard to pin down. And that, because then the way it plays out is so straightforward in mm. many ways. There's, you, you sit with things, don't you? Mm. you yeah, don't, yeah, you yeah. Don't, there's not uh, these sudden cuts or anything. And, and, and once again, even with that little short... Uh, something else that's quite Lynchian is there's that the audio is unsettling as well. Well, you something you said when we were watching it, and uh, is was the tick tick tick. Yeah, you know from his very first short, from Nolan's yeah. very first short th- three minute thing. Yeah, the tick 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 tick. That time is already there. Yeah, from the outset. There's um, I forget who the director is, but the uh, there was a director. I'll I'll have to try and find this quote later. But there was a director who said that you know. 
the themes are always going to be the same in what he does he, and he just explores them and finds new depths to them and mm. and uh, here's, here's an example yeah. right away yeah, right yeah. and then uh, we get to his first film following so that so that little short was 97 and following is 98 J- just quickly back to doodlebug just for a second mm. what do you what do you think he's trying to say in that what do you think it's about i wonder if it's i've only ever watched it a few times uh, in IMAX, I always go and see it at IMAX <laughs> when they have it there. The IMAX format, where you get all perspectives that you never saw on the yeah. YouTube version. Yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. it. Tw- I've seen it twenty-seven times in one day. Um, <laughs> my weird machismos to prove uh, how much a fan I am. But the, um, I guess it's kind of saying that. I wonder, no matter how much you squish parts of you. Mm. That you don't like, yeah. There's always, there's always something around the corner that you, yeah. Like you're always just going to be squishing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely felt like it was happening inside the guy's head. Yeah, you know, and it's that whole thing of you know you you, you can squash the the little voices and little demons that are running around inside <laughs> yeah. your brain, but not really. But then a bigger one will yeah, take yeah, its yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, oh, I feel really feel really bad that I ate that biscuit today. Oh, yeah, but why are you feeling bad about that? You should feel bad about that whole packet of chips you ate the night before. Yeah, but why should you feel bad about that? What about that time when you got a Valentine's card from Trudy Gardner in grade three? I know you freaked out about it and you ripped it up when you should have just said thank you. Oh, yeah, you feel Uh-oh. bad about that. Hammer's regressing. <laughs> I feel really bad about that cookie I ate. You know what will make me feel better? A tub of Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So it's... Uh, um, it really gets in and, and does yeah. the job very quickly. Very in, nice. In three yeah, minutes. Clean. Yep. Um, and so then we uh, get to uh, the first uh, movie mm. in following. Mm. And uh, you, you said you'd seen it before. Is that right? I've seen it once before. And as I said to you, uh, I didn't. Lo- I didn't really like it the first time. Yeah. But, you know, I think this was off the back of watching the Dark Knight trilogy and Inception and all these huge, high concept, you know, incredible films. Yeah. So to go back to quite a scrappy, you know, it almost looks like guerrilla style, a lot of the way it's shot on yes. the streets and stolen shots and that yes. kind of stuff. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but yeah. you, but you're, you're correct with that. Yeah, it's hard to... Um, and also, I think tonally and stylistically, it's very different from a lot of his uh, later stuff. Right. And so... I think I just found it jarring and difficult to square. And I didn't really know... You know how Kubrick uh, kind of disowned his earlier films? I think uh, right. Killer's Kiss and I can't, I can't remember the other one. Um, and I always wondered if Nolan was kind of the same. If he was like, ah, Following was like, you know, in my experimental student film. And really my first film was Memento. Right. So I kind of had a lot of baggage going in the first time. Um so it's it's maybe not that I didn't like it. I think I was just kind of indifferent to it. It was like, oh yeah, that's. I'm glad I watched it just so I can tick it off. And now I know that I've seen all of Nolan. Yeah, how long did it go? It only went about sixty five, seventy minutes yeah, it's, as it's, well. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. it's the. It would not be unfair to say it's kind of like uh, his first novella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I think there are some some some. Uh, how many times can you say some in a row? The some of his themes are yeah starting to poke their heads up. Yeah, I just don't know if it's as as a 
confident or consistent debut as a lot of other like you know you watch a Razorhead right and that's just it's crystallized Lynch yeah. straight out the gate and you know obviously Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive you know they bring other elements in but yeah. it's clearly the same director I don't know if Gun to My Head I if I watched Following not knowing that it was a Nolan film that I would pick it as a Nolan film uh Right, yeah, I see what you mean. Apart mm. from possibly uh, if you just happen to uh, clock the use of the name Cobb. Yeah, very good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's I, look, I reckon the first time I saw it as well, I was oh, I was just looking something up then. I wasn't talking to you while I was on my phone. <laughs> you know I how like, much I hate that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, in some of the, uh, we're going a little bit ahead with some squid bits here, but uh, never studied filmmaking at university. He studied English really? literature at University College London and used the film society there to shoot the opening dialogue scene between Bill and the policeman. So uh, so maybe that's, uh, the, the reason I thought I'd bring that up now is yeah. with the point that you are making, he doesn't quite have what they would have had going into their first feature. Yeah, right, okay. So I wonder, funnily enough, I haven't really looked into this before, and maybe we can do this over the course of the Nolan Mm. films, but uh, I I wonder how much he's learnt just through instinct and the stuff that he's made off, you know. know, I I know that he had a camera as a kid and could cut and, and edit and... So I wonder if it's just been instinctive in many ways. Do, do we know why he moved from English lit into film? No, I think he's always had the interest. Like, uh, for it's it's very funny. I saw a, an interview with him, and mm. he was, you you know, when you're of an age mm. with someone, and I and I wonder if one of the appeals of in 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 some ways. I feel very embarrassed to be a middle-aged man who loves Christopher Nolan because it feels like, it's like if someone said to me, if I said to you, oh, I'm really unique, and then I could imagine some really clever 27-year-old girl walking in and saying, you like Nolan, you like Radiohead, I bet you've read comics, and I go, oh, yeah, but, you know, like... Uh, but I liked it before everyone else did. Yeah, also, also like Brian Ferry's first album full of covers. Did you see that one coming? Um, and she probably did. So, but uh, I think part of the appeal with Nolan is yeah. that I feel... Like I'm on the same wavelength with him, yeah. and a lot of that comes from I see this interview, and he said the first like he went and saw Star Wars mm. as a kid and mm. just lost his mind, mm. and saw Star Wars at the cinema thirty odd times, yeah, well. and like already I'm like, yeah, well, I can relate to all of this, mm. and then went and saw 2001: A Space mm. Odyssey because they re-released that when Star Wars came mm. out. And they also did that in Australia. And I went and saw 2001. How old were you? Uh, I would have been... What's, when did Star Wars come out? 77. 77. So I would have been about six, five or six. And, and you saw 2001 at five or six? Yeah. And it was... Um, it was really... See, he's a couple of years older, so he would have been eight or nine. But he went with uh, his father, who explained it. But I went with my auntie and grandfather, who had no idea what was going on and could not explain it. And I just didn't understand anything that happened. Yeah. And I, and it took me a long time to get back to that film. Yeah. And I wish I'd had someone who could have explained it to me. Do, do you remember what you made of it at all? Like, did, I it remember an, it being, did it have an impact on you? Or were you bored or what? I was really bored. Yeah. Because I was like, what is going on? Like, mm-hmm. I just saw Star Wars. Yeah. 
What's going on with all these monkeys? What is happening here? Why are we getting 20 minutes of rotating space stations? Like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. Is, like, it's kind of impressive, but I don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't get my yeah. head around Well, this. one must surrender to 2001 A Space right. Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. You know, a, a movie that is, you know, deceptively funny as well. Oh, absolutely. Like all Kubrick. Yeah. Absolutely. But yes, it is very yeah. funny. The fact that my favourite, favourite part, I know we're digressing for a second, but no, my favourite part of 2001 is that aspect of... Oh, God, humans never fucking change. They found this monolith on the moon, oh, yeah. and the first thing they got to do is stand around and pose for a fucking photo in front of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so much. Which is the moment that the monolith goes, and like, yeah. oh, you idiots, what are you doing? I bring you enlightenment, you want to take selfies, for God's yeah. sakes. <laughs> and even the, uh, the benign conversation he has with his uh, daughter back home on, yeah. the, on the video screen. Like, yeah. I think that's a really funny moment, and um, but anyway. And how dying is, you know, heartbreaking, but also very funny oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. What are you and, doing? And and weirdly, yeah, it's um, like most good horror mm. is funny and sad yeah. and horrific all yeah. at once. Yeah, yeah. But as a kid who really liked Chewbacca, I had no idea oh, course, what was happening. not made for children. No. Do, do we know what Nolan thought of 2001? Well, I think, he, I think he was blown away, but yeah. I think he also had someone who was discussing it with him. Sure. Whereas I had a... My poor auntie and uncle. Uh, what the hell is going on? And grandfather, I should say. My grandfather would have just been like, what What just happened? And yeah. my auntie, like, she doesn't even read or watch things now. Yeah, right. Yeah. I have no idea what she does. I think she cleans. <laughs> I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I think that's what she does. She cleans and cooks and, and, yeah, right. and, and talks of... While she's in isolation with her husband, talks about how um, she feels sorry for people who feel like they need to be with someone. And it's like, yeah, but you're with <laughs> Graham. Anyway, I'm digressing. Um, so uh, so I think uh, I also understand what you mean because you, you, uh, at first I always thought Memento was his first yeah. film. And I had seen Memento before I knew who he was. Mm. And, yeah, so. and, the, and the, when you go back to it, it is a bit jarring yeah. because... You know, that, like, there's a couple of shots that are beautiful. Like, you know, there was that one that I talked about where you yeah. follow them down the outside steps and yeah. it's a, it's beautifully put together yeah. and there's some really interesting, uh, you know, angles and the story is already, you know, non-linear and fun. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, like, I don't want to be an arsehole, but the acting is all over the place. It's and, not great. And, 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 you know, they, they're probably first film, possibly only film. Yeah. And so there's times where sometimes the lead character mm. in particular, sometimes you go, oh, God, this guy is so many people that I have met over the time, especially yeah. in the open mic yeah. comedy circuit. Well, I said that to you, yeah, yeah. you know, during it. You know, he's, yeah. he's the open micer that's done five gigs and thinks he's the greatest at oh, what yeah. he's ever done. And yeah. it's like, oh, and come on, brother. Yeah, he's, um, 
<laughs> I mean, funnily enough, the I think the lack of experience in the act. I, 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 again, I said this to you while we were watching the movie. Either he's not a very good actor, yeah. or he's a very good actor playing yes. a guy who has no fucking clue who he is. Yes. Uh, and so I think in that sense, the if it is a bad performance or or, or not a, you know not well acted, it actually lends itself to the character that he's playing. Yes, that that was yeah definitely, mm. and then and you and you completely see that. Funnily enough, in a lot of the physical stuff, mm. some of his line delivery is all over the place, yep. but in a lot of the physical stuff, he is so inept, and it's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's so bad at everything he does. Yeah. Everything he does. There's a scene where he breaks into a, a, a place to steal something, and he instantly knocks pots and pans over. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't bring a fucking bag to take the thing in to take the money. Oh, it's like, oh, for and God's sake! And then his, and then his, <laughs> his, 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 the way he solves it is he, find, he gets all this cash out of this uh, safe, and then he doesn't have a bag and can't find a bag to put the money in. So he just like he. He instantly becomes a roadie and, and gaffer tapes it to himself. <laughs> While out loud going, think, think, oh, yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brother. But he's kind of um, he's kind of compelling in that way yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, it's a funny concept, the idea of following someone. Mm. Have you ever followed someone before? And I know that's a really <laughs> tricky question, but have you ever seen someone and just... Even inadvertently, you know. I've, I've inadvertently, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if I've ever consciously followed someone through. It has occurred to me a lot, you know, like, you, you know, especially after seeing a spy movie or whatever. It has occurred to me how easy it would be mm. to just, as, as he does in the film, to just pick a random person in the street and just wander behind them. I mean, you blithely walk through the street. You're not looking mm. behind you. Um, especially now with most of us wearing earpods or yep. headphones yep. Like you. or staring at our fucking screens yeah. as we walk yeah. um but you know no often often um i've been paranoid that people have thought that i'm following them you know when you th- those odd occasions where whatever you'll see someone at 9am in newtown yeah and then at 4pm in the middle of the city, you suddenly cross paths, walking through the QVB or something. It's oh, just some yeah. random person you don't know. Yeah. But whatever, they're distinctive looking enough that you recognise that you saw them earlier that day. So there's there's been those moments in my life where I'm like, oh my God, does this person think I'm, I'm stalking them or following them? Oh yeah, you know that really funny routine by uh, Corey White, Australian comedian Corey White, where he gets off the bus and it's night time and there's a woman walking at a pace that's just a bit too quick for him to overtake, but not quick enough for him to... O- and then he, he just wants to yell out to her, hey, lady, I'm not following yeah, yeah. you. Like, this is, this is just really unfortunate. <laughs> Such a great routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever followed anyone? Uh, I don't think... Uh, I think the closest I <laughs> honestly would have come to following anyone was... Uh, Maybe like in a bookstore and you see someone that you find attractive and you go, I wonder what they're going to read. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah. you kind of look and then <laughs> then you see the book they pick up and you go, oh, we have nothing in common. And, um, but maybe it was that, merely an aesthetic attraction. Yeah. Uh, may, uh, I, I have been, I've, I've been followed though. Really? Yeah. So many, many, many years ago when I was on... Uh, comedy festival roadshow. Uh-huh. I ended up in Karatha and uh-huh. I had nothing uh-huh. to do during the day. So I just went wandering about in Kmart 
just having a look, you know, in actually in the whole supermarket area. But we walked into Kmart and it was when... Hell of a day. F- it was a hell of a day. <laughs> well, you know, you get to that point where you've been on the road with all these comedians yeah. who you really like, yeah. but you, you, don't, you can't be asked reading. You don't feel like hanging out. You yeah. just need to wander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need a day without the pissing contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so then, um, so I went into Kmart and it was, it was the first time I'd ever seen this, but it was the Millennium Falcon in Lego. And that was the thing that when I was a kid, I always used to talk about my friends and I always used to talk about, imagine if you could get Star Wars Lego. Anyway, I found this uh, set and it was $249 and I was like, I'm going to buy this. And then, How I old th- were you at the time? Like I was mid-30s or something <laughs> like that. And so I picked it up and then I was literally like, oh, no, I'm too old for this. What am I doing? And then I was like, but I've always wanted it. And I was like, I don't know if I can do it. And then anyway, I walked around with it for so long that I realized and in, went to leave and then walked back and then put it down and then went back and picked it up. And I did it for so long. I realized that I had uh, an in-store security person who was following me because they thought, they thought I was like a crim like this guy in, the, in following and I was Very really good. inept. And then ironically, I wrote a blog about it back in the days when I used to blog about my gigs and I got it had, it had one of the biggest reactions that any blog that I ever wrote, yeah. which was people from all over the world telling me, what are you doing? Buy it. <laughs> so the next time I saw it, I bought it. You bought it. Yeah, yep. great. <laughs> so uh, to everyone out there, thank you. And then I built it and it made me really happy. It uh, is, as a person <laughs> who loves, I do love people watching. Yep. Very much. Yep. Uh, you know, because... Like in a cafe or something like that. Yeah, or, or you know, or I mean, I live... in the park. Yeah, I live in Newtown, so a lot of the time I sit at the hub and just kind of just watch the world go by. Yeah. And, you know, it's that fascinating thing of, you know, everyone lives in their own private world. We all live in our own separate islands in our heads. And, you know, I mean, we live in a very performative society, especially now with screens and everything. But even still, you know, when you're walking down the street, you are very much alone, yeah. Uh, and so people have tells that they don't even realize. Oh, yeah. You know, and I know I do. You know, yeah. I mean, if anyone followed me for a day, I would look fucking insane muttering to myself and, you know, all, yeah. all the rest. You know, <laughs> <laughs> someone once told me I have a face that cannot lie. So right. whatever mood I'm in is the, the mood that I'm yeah. putting out into the world. Um, so the, the I don't think I would ever do it because I would feel like a creep, but I do understand when I watch that film the appeal. Yes. Of just wandering behind someone and just seeing, you know, and especially as the character in this film is a writer, um, you know, attaching a narrative to that person. And, yeah. You know, what are they doing? Yeah. Where are they going? Yeah. What happened? I have definitely done that. I've definitely seen someone and thought, oh, there's, you know, you just catch someone, you see someone just as a thought flickers across their, mm-hmm. their forehead. And yeah. you you don't know what it is, and you pick up on it, and it's a yeah. it's a little bit fascinating. And right. uh, and as a premise, it it starts off in a place that is weirdly on on the broad end of the spectrum, relatable. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or you know, occasionally, on the odd occasion, you'll see someone walking down the street crying. Oh, yeah. You know, and a lot of the time, I mean, how can you not think? Well, what happened? You know, yeah. did someone die? Was yeah. it a breakup? Oh. You know, yeah. you're just having a really <laughs> shitty day. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I've cried in public many times. Yeah. I cried on the bus so hard one time, the guy next to me uncomfortably stood up and changed seats. <laughs> right. Right. Well, 
keep keep that in your back pocket for these pandemic times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coughing and weeping on the bus. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a really good way to get a seat to yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. That is great. I tell you what, I I used this in a I used this in a show. So this is funnily enough, I hadn't thought of this, but uh, this is very much the premise of what this lead character who is a wannabe writer and in, wannabe being the you know emphasized oh, mate in like thirty six size font <laughs> you know, uh, is I remember being at the Brisbane airport yeah. and seeing four women together like probably. Middle-aged, slightly older than me, so possibly really late 40s, early 50s. And there was a woman there who didn't have any hair or... And she had a... She was all covered up and mm. she was obviously not well. Mm. And the, the four women there were uh, hugging and talking and, yeah. and, and, and laughing. And it was really, really full on. And then their flight got called and I watched them all hugging and kissing this woman and then I watched her walk off and turn around and wave again and then the three women burst into tears oh and God. I had that moment of going, I've just been a witness to something that is in many ways really heartrending. but yeah. also I think I may have been very lucky to see something quite beautiful yeah. and uh, I used that imagery for my show The Goodbye Guy which I finished, I finished with that. Yeah. And it is uh, something. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's always uh, stuck with me. Yeah. You know, that, and that was one of those things where literally where I was sitting, there was like a big gap and then that, and then my flight was on the next was at the doorway next to the one that she was going in. Yeah. So you're just looking in that direction. Then, you know, suddenly you realise, oh, I'm picking up a narrative. Yeah, it's really beautiful when you see that stuff. You know, it's like the, you know, the theatre of the real or whatever yeah. it is. Um, speaking of airports, I love that thing where you, uh, you know, you, you're on a long haul flight yeah. and, uh, you know, you clock someone in the departure lounge and then you clock them again exiting the plane 15 hours later or oh, something yeah. and the narrative that you can attach to that of yeah. like you know we're all kind of all the defenses are down and we're all vulnerable oh, and exhausted yeah. and harrowed and yeah. yeah seeing people yeah with their defenses down is is uh it's 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 hard not to attach a narrative to that yeah you know or to ascribe a humanity to that and seeing them with their defenses down i think we probably walk around for the Majority of our time with our defences up. Absolutely. So absolutely. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so getting back to following, is there 
anything interesting in the fact that the thief, that mm. our main character, who we don't really like, he calls himself Bill, mm. but he's you know it's so. But the thief that he attaches himself is called Cobb, mm. which is also, of course, the name of DiCaprio's character in Inception. Yep. Do you make anything of that, or do you think that is what? Like, what do you think's going on there? Is that why do I think DiCaprio was named Cobb? Yeah, is there something in the use of the name again in this one this is a guy who is a thief who yeah. is going in and planting uh, an idea with one person yeah. for a greater cause yeah. and then disappears afterwards and then you know DiCaprio's Cobb is yeah. going into dreams yeah. and placing ideas is, yeah. is or is it am I totally overthinking it and Nolan really just likes the name Cobb. No, no, no. I think that I think it's a I think it's I think it's a definite deliberate use of the name. Mm. I think it's him paying homage to his past mm. and to him acknowledging his first film. Yeah, uh, there is a resonance with that. Absolutely. Yeah, going into a person's extremely private place. Yeah, you know because Cobb in following, he's not just a thief. He makes a real point of. I am rifling through someone's private things. Yes. And he always goes straight for their... He he calls it their box. Yeah. Everyone has a box where all their special things are. And I think I said out loud the first time he did it, ah, oh, that's perverse. Yeah. And it is. It's perverse. It's, yeah. it's the perversity of reading someone's diary or there's something about rifling through someone's special things. That's yeah. just, ah, uh, don't do that. Now it's going through someone's phone. Yeah, exa- yeah. exactly. And then Cobb in Inception, you know, he's literally going inside someone's mind. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's an invasion um, that goes beyond, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The uh and he's he's interesting because the way he talks about it and so this movie came out in what 97 mm. and uh when did uh, well, anyway he talks about how now when they have to replace things they'll they'll think about them differently or they'll think about their objects differently. Yes, 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 yes. And there's something thematically uh resonant with uh Brad Pitt in um, Fight Club, Club, he talks about that as well. And so, when did Fight Club come out? Was that 1999? No, the movie was 99. When did the book come out? 96? Yeah, somewhere around that. It wasn't, the movie was made quite soon after the book was published. Yeah, Yeah, there wasn't too much uh, uh, leeway. So, I wonder if that is just something that was in the Zeke guys that both of them were picking up on, or I wonder if Nolan read Fight Club. You think there's a truth to that? To the, uh, to the, you know, uh, what does he say? You know, they they can only understand what they had once they've lost it. Oh, you yeah. You take it away and then they realise what they had. Yeah. You know, so it is, uh, I think, very much so when I was younger, I was someone who applied a lot of meaning to objects and the things that I had. I d- didn't have a lot of money when I was growing mm. up. So when I had something, mm. it did have a lot of meaning. Yeah. But... Also, the problem with that is as you get older, you accumulate a lot of stuff. Yep. And I never wanted to be, especially as, like, I think the longest I've really lived anywhere is since I left home is, like, maybe five years. Mm. And so, through just being practical, I've had to, like, I put a, I give a lot of stuff to Goodwill. Yeah. And books and, you know, 
all forms of entertainment I pass on to my friends' kids, yeah. you know, when yeah. they're at certain ages and that kind of stuff. Yeah, lovely. Uh, but I think you do. Like, I think there is, you yeah. know, th- there's some stuff that you just look at and you go, oh, I could never, I could never. Like, you know what? I've got all my basketball uniforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I going to do with them? But you know, I won't yeah. squeeze into them. Yeah, but... but, but yeah. Every time I put that basketball uniform on, I went out and gave 100% and yeah, yeah, played yeah. basketball for my team. When there's a magic and a resonance to certain objects, you know, uh, you know, when I was probably 20, I read Catch-22 for the first time. Right. And it was one of the first books that, as, <laughs> as cliched as it is, as every young male 20-year-old who reads Catch-22, it's like, holy shit. But it yep. really did. That book really... I, I, I credit that book with kind of teaching me the English language right. beyond just the basics. You yep. know, it really expanded my vocabulary in a big way. Uh, and it had extra resonance because in the front page of it was written my mum's name and the date that she started and completed the book and my dad's name. Oh, and right date that he started and completed the book right uh and i have no relationship with my dad and you know but it, it, it was a sacred object yeah and i read that book seven times cover to cover that particular edition yes and then uh a few years ago i don't know left it on a bus or something i'm gone forever yeah, uh right. and i went on ebay and I got the exact same edition of Catch-22 yeah. with Yasarian standing on the airfield shaking his fist in the sky with the big red letters, Catch-22. Not the same book. It's not the same book. Yeah. Because it wasn't read by those two people and it yeah. wasn't held by those two people. Yeah. And there was a sacredness to that object. And losing it made me realise how much value I had placed in that object. It's like a... Uh, like a it had inadvertently become a family totem. Yeah, yeah, and it has power and resonance or yeah. something. that You know, that even the object in of itself, you know, isn't the thing. Yeah. But it's all everything that was is within it, contained within. Yeah, the journey that that book took. Yeah, 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 yeah. to find itself in my hands in my early 20s and how many times I read that one and... And it's there. The, the, the copy that I bought is on my shelf, but it's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, now it's just a copy. Yeah, and, now it's just a copy of Catch-22. And then you could lend that one... And get another, not get it back and buy another one. Yeah. And who, who'd give a fuck? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so the, the 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 main character, we've kind of discussed this a little bit, but the main character proclaims he's a rider. But it, <laughs> like, is he really? No. Um, like he suffers from claustrophobic loneliness. Yeah. And he has, he kind of has little research, uh, little interest in the research he's doing for his riding. And, what does this suggest to you? Is he a writer only because he's lonely or is he lonely because he's attempting to be a writer? <laughs> I think he's a cipher that doesn't know what the fuck he is, yeah. which is why he's so malleable and easily manipulated. Yeah. You know, I think that he... You have one sequence of him writing. Yes. He doesn't look like he's having any pleasure writing. He looks like he's in a lot of pain. Right. There's the cliche dictionary in thesaurus sitting next to his typewriter. Yeah. I think his true... And I don't even think the following people is about getting ideas for characters for books. I think it is him trying to graft himself onto other people's lives because he is nothing yeah like he truly is like he's he's one of the more frustrating characters i've ever seen in a film because there is no fire in his belly there is no passion which again leads itself to the kind of flat performance that's being delivered whether that's intentional or not i do not know right but i don't believe 
I believe he thinks of himself as a writer. Yes. And we've met plenty of people like that. You know, they read fucking Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas <laughs> and suddenly, you know, everything they write has swine in it. And, ooh, I'm writing an essay about psychotropic drugs. And like, yeah, okay, Honduras. Um, I think it's that kind of writing and that performative thing of like, I don't know who or what I am. So in lieu of, I will be a writer. Yeah. Uh, and But he doesn't seem to have any life experience he doesn't seem to put himself in any situation uh he gets co-opted into a situation by Cobb the thief but um no i don't think he's a writer i don't think he's anything so i wonder if there is uh a potentially uh kind of dennis potter thing going on here because you know how you just said that you only see one point of him writing Mm. and that happens right in the middle Mm. of the movie so is there a potential knowing the way that Nolan works and once again this could be like we could be I could be adding a layer to this this is is good yeah is are we are we watching what he's writing that's yeah maybe and that's why he changes throughout it yeah and in many ways, he's made himself the the victim of, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. of the whole experience. The victim of his own narrative. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And making excuses for why he may not be as successful as he wishes he was. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that would lend itself perfectly to this non-linear structure. Yeah. Because really, the movie doesn't need to be non-linear. Yes. It's the, quite a straightforward story. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could have, uh, with the revelation of that he's being double-crossed and played, you yes. can have that done in flashbacks. But it is non-linear from the very outset. Yes. There's a, there's a, uh, when we get to the squid bits, there's a thing that uh, Nolan talks about oh, as cool. to why they you know, chose that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know what, would this movie be, like, would you like to see... Nolan remake this movie with Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah, I think you can, I look I I as I said, I like this movie, I don't love this movie because yeah. I still don't know really know what it's about. No, it's You know what it, I mean? It 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 is what it like there's like it's interesting. Yeah. And there's and it's tricky. Yeah. But uh is there a is there any greater meaning to it other than yeah. it's a magic trick? Exactly right. Like, uh, and we'll get to this when we eventually talk about Memento. But I rewatched that recently, and uh, I think I was always taken with Memento's trickery yeah. and the hook, which is fucking excellent. Yeah. But within that movie, there is also a deep, resonant truth about the human condition. Yes. And uh, how we deceive ourselves to give our life meaning. I didn't find that in following. I didn't no. find, I didn't get to the end and go, oh, that's right. That's, you know, that's the human condition manifest. Yeah. It just seemed to be this fucking loser, this sucker <laughs> who got co-opted into doing a dumb thing because he didn't know any better and didn't have any kind of internal fortitude yeah. or, 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 or personality to push back. Or if he's the guy writing the movie that we're watching, yeah, he's... The only way he knows how to add himself to the story is not through any experience, 
but literally add himself to the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which then, uh, so maybe the meaning of the movie is uh, if you're going to be a writer, just don't be a shallow shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go out and actually collect some experiences <laughs> rather than stalking people through the streets. By the way, do you remember in the, while we were watching it, I had to run off and write something down yeah. and it was for this very moment. Um, uh, you know the guy, the actor who plays Cobb? I thought The thief? Yeah. Yep. I thought he was uh, the perfect blend of, uh, I've forgotten how to say his last name. You know, Peter Serafonowicz? Serafonowicz? Yeah. You know, from... I'm saying his name incorrectly, and I've, because I've written it, you know what? I know how to say it, but because I've written it down and tried to read it, <laughs> I fucked myself. He, he's the um, in Shaun of the Dead. He's the, you know, the friend who's wears the suit and actually has a job. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. He, he's a cross between him and Craig McLaughlin. <laughs> He's the perfect player. You don't want to be half a Craig McLaughlin in 2020. Definitely oh, not. Mate. This is uh, this has turned into a horror story. Uh, there's a uh, so getting back to our uh, protagonist. Uh, there was a moment that I really love, which I think says a lot about the character, where he orders a beer. And the bartender turns around to give him a glass, but he's already started drinking from the bottle. <laughs> and yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh, you you would never come to this place. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, he's, yeah. He, he wouldn't even, like he's, immediately, it's just such a nice little touch. Yeah. But it says to me, you're out of your depth already. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if the story is being written by Bill, is that his name? Yeah. Well, that's the name he gives at one point. You know, maybe it is, you know, going back to that Tyler Durden thing, you know, maybe Cobb is the imagination of himself. Mm. You know, maybe that is how he would like to be, this kind of, you know, fearless, uh, womanizing, cool guy. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. That could be, yeah, I quite like, like, it's funny. If it is, at least Edward Norton projected Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> and not half a Craig McLaughlin. And not a half a McLaughlin. <laughs> um, I had some things about uh, the theme, but, but we've already done that. Uh, there's, uh, Did you see the little homage to... To Batman? Oh, well, The Shining with the picture of Jack Nicholson oh, next yes, to the yes, typewriter. Yes, yes. And uh, isn't that the... Uh, didn't he at one point say his name was Danny Torrance, and that's the, the little boy in The Shining That is the well. little boy in The yeah. Shining. Does he say his name's Danny Torrance? Uh, did he say Danny Torrance, or am I hearing that? Uh, look, we'll have to check that. I felt like it was Danny Torrance. Um, but uh, I respect that. Yeah, I respect absolutely. The Shining. I, I, I respect any reference to The Shining. Yeah. The, uh, the Batman logo on the door of the protagonist's mm. flat, like, is... Like, what's going on there? Like, is that just like one of those tasty little... It's an amazing coincidence. coincidence. But when you uh, when you link it into the kind of uh, lineage of how Nolan plays with time, yes. it's especially tasty. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know what happened when he was making this movie? He was in a bookcase sending a message back to himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> after after um, McConaughey sent a message to Murph, he uh, then... Uh, Nolan said, can you send a message to me to make Batman? <laughs> uh, it's such a funny thing, isn't it? Like, the f- first time you see it, it's such a, like, you get really excited and then you just, there's no point to be excited. But you go, oh! Oh, it's Batman! But it's almost as though it's been superimposed. Like, it is too yeah. perfect. Yeah. Like, who would have thought? Again, going back to the kind of scrappy 
DIY nature of the film. Oh, yeah. You're watching this. I mean, it is remarkable that Memento is his next film. Yeah. And then, in, then Insomnia is oh, a man. level up from that in right. terms of filmmaking. Mate, um, it goes, it goes, it goes. It's incredible. Following Memento, mm. Insomnia, mm-hmm. which is, you know, when we get to, I'm really looking and forward an to it. Outstanding film, and you know, it's yep. It's the lost kind of yep. Nolan movie yep. in many ways. I don't know why it doesn't get the respect that it deserves, but is it, it is because fantastic. it's a remake. I don't know. I think it's because it's wedged between Memento and Batman. And Batman begins, And so it yeah. just kind of lost in the in the shuffle. But it's, like, legitimately great performances oh, by Pacino and Robin yeah, Williams yeah, yeah. and Hilary Swank. But the level of filmmaking. I think that, I think, if I, what I admire about uh, following is more what, you know, how much he evolved yeah. after it. Yeah. And how quickly. Yeah, because I mean, Memento's made what a, a year or two after yeah. this. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, incredible. It's funny. It's kind of like uh, I, I don't know about you, but I kind of group his movies together in a, in mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, and weirdly, this feels like following in Memento. I've never really known what to group Memento with, but I feel like it's kind of it is kind of grouped with this yeah. in a way. Like this is the the starting point that gets us to Memento. Yeah. but then I would group. Insomnia, Batman Begins, and The Prestige together. Like, it's like yeah. he, there's this new level of talent where he's learning a whole lot of things. Yeah. And then I think you can put uh, The Dark Knight and Inception as a bundle. Yeah. And then I think even visually you can look at Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar. Yeah. As, and, you know, I, I know for a lot of people they're two of the uh, less popular films mm. of his, but they're, they're two of my favourites and they... Uh, they, you know, you could almost put them all in a line, and they look like they'd go together. Yeah. And then Dunkirk is suddenly an outlier. Yeah. And I'll be curious to when we see Tenet, yep. if what he's learnt from Dunkirk, what we'll see yeah, yeah, in yeah, that yeah, film, yeah, yeah. or will this be another outlier? Level up, but the the, the leveling up is just unbelievable. Yeah. The the, the 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 similarity between this and Memento as well is the narrative. The tempo and the pace of the narrative uh, in following reminded me a lot of Guy Pearce's narration in yes. Memento. Yes. Just that that kind of... You know, certain directors have... And I don't think Nolan does this other than these two examples. But, you know, like Lynch directs his actors to speak a certain way. Yeah. You know, in that kind of weird, disassociated, dreamy, you know, almost... Uh, camp performative way. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's other directors who do the same, but I really noticed that with the narration in this, that it really reminded me of the tempo of Guy Pierce's voice. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he's 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 working something out, yeah. isn't he? It's like yeah, we're yeah. seeing the process. Well, and working himself out. And yeah. I think that's, again, where the thematic resonance happens. Yeah. Both films are about a person who doesn't really know who the fuck they are. Yeah. And, you know, they're trying to do whatever they can to figure it out. Yeah, and that's interesting because that, uh, it's funny that you just said that because uh, literally the next thing I was going to bring up was that Nolan's characters often lay out rules for themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And then the first thing they do is they break them. Yep. Now, uh, I know some people find that quite annoying. You know, like in uh, I heard... Uh, um, I read a kind of disappointing review of Inception of someone who said the two things they said was 
if it's set in dreams, why are the dreams so boring? And I was like, what? Uh, I didn't find them boring. Like it's a, but boring it's also it's also a, a spy movie. Like yeah. it's like, yeah, 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 but yeah. the thing is, um, and I, and I think this is probably his most glaring weakness in his dialogue, and it is at the fore of Inception. Mm. But they're constantly telling you what's going on and then breaking the rules. Like, DiCaprio's always, like, throughout the whole film, yeah. he's like, uh, you know, hey, if you're in a dream and get killed, you, you, you're you out of the dream. But not this time! <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Does that annoy you or is that just, like, is that just one of those things? No. I, I've always made it, um, I, I find it quite interesting, the idea of, because I think we make rules. Yeah, you know I, think, I, mean? I think I think it's reflective of what humans are. Yeah, we're constantly contradicting our own sets of rules that we set for ourselves yeah. and our own paradigms and all the rest. And the, 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 you know, we like to think that we have an internal consistency, but we're not. We're we're quite chaotic as humans, and I, that, that's never bothered me. I mean, I don't like. <sighs> I've never been one of these people that likes to nitpick and blah, 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 right. blah. Yeah, you course. know, if the movie is, you know, it's like like with everyone bitching about gravity, you know, eh, it doesn't work like that. And it's like, yeah, but if it worked like it actually did, the movie would be boring. So, oh, yeah. you're like, really? Are we watching a movie or are we watching a documentary? Yeah, I'm watching a movie. I got clenched jaw in that film. Oh, just, just the greatest hour and a half anxiety attack of all time. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like if someone said, "Hey, do you want to see two movies that you'll love at IMAX, and they are Gravity and Dunkirk back to back?" I'd say, oh, "I'm in like a really bad age group for that, unless I can have some little tasty heart pills, just in case." Yeah, shit yeah, goes yeah, wrong. some benzos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you're right. You know, like we often, you know, in the real world, we often make rules for ourselves yeah. and and rules that we stand by because that's how we define yeah, ourselves yeah, yeah. as people and then we're constantly breaking them and that's and that's, that's why right. that's why we're constantly disappointed in ourselves and other people 100 percent, and i don't don't think that's a bug of nolan's films i think it's no. a feature i think it's intentional yeah and i think it's interesting because yeah. it does in these high concept films often reflect what we are like in 100%. The, like that's the relatable part 100%. I mean, you know, just to flash forward briefly to Memento, I would say that's one of the key themes of Memento, mm. that he sets rules for himself that he then sets himself up to deliberately break yeah. without realising that he's breaking them. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's a, a thematic thing that runs through all of Nolan's films, much like time does. Yeah. You know, or non-linear storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this guy's just, you know, like the first thing he tells us is, well, these were the rules and I broke them immediately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, we see time is malleable in following as uh, as we see in a lot of his films. But uh, if, if memories are faulty in a Nolan movie, does that explain why his use of time is often fractured in the way he tells a story? Hmm. Oh. I've got more on memory as well, but uh, did you think because you know we've learned he's fascinated in uh, memories as uh, being our reality, yeah, and uh, regardless of how they work, they become corrupted because we know now that memories aren't reliable. No, like they're when we remember a moment, it's not photographic memory; it is us recreating that memory, and that's how those memories. 
it's become the, it, corrupted. It's the memory of a story. Yeah. It's a story that you tell yourself. Absolutely. And so and so with that, that's how time becomes more malleable, doesn't it? Because yeah. the the memory is not quite right. Yeah, of course. And it's constantly informed by the present. Yeah. So it would be very interesting to see how stories that you've told over decades oh, yeah. have slightly changed in the telling over yeah. the years based on... Oh, they've all got a bit more sizzle. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. they have to because, yeah. you know, you know the, half of the story is the performative aspect of it. Right. But, you know, I mean, there's stories I tell or have told for 20 years and you do start to move into this realm where it's like, actually, I really, I'm at a stage where I... I know that the core of the story is true. Right. But I don't know if this particular aspect actually happened or if that was an embellishment I added 10 years ago that has now, you know, implanted itself as a memory. Right. Um, well, so, I, you know, I, I find that with doing stand-up mm. where you have three things happen at a party over the course of two months mm-hmm. and you just combine it all into the one, one party night because yeah. it's just easier for the sake of, of telling the story of and course. having people keep up with it. Of course. So everything that happens in the story is true, but you fabricated it for one night. Yep. And then and then I'll find myself telling those stories to people who, you know, you're just at dinner and then I'll be telling the stand-up version. Of course. And then it's like, I'm so sorry, that is... <laughs> Not quite how it happened. Yeah, I'm so a fucking liar. I'm, so I'm giving you the streamlined version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just things like, you know, I was waiting for a bus for an hour. Mm. Well, it probably wasn't an hour. It probably felt like an hour. Yeah. It's probably 20 minutes. Yeah. But to convey the feeling of the length of time that you were yeah. sitting there, you say an hour, and then a month later, well, I was sitting there for an hour. Yeah. And, you know, it's, well... And then know, it was an hour. And then it was an hour. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's so, the, yeah, it's, um, it is always hard to pin down what part of memory is true and what is not. You would like to think that the, the core of it is the truth. Yeah. But, I don't know, like, uh, it is interesting that the more we learn about the brain and all that, because, you know, eyewitness testimony and all this stuff used oh, to be yeah. just, that's how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the more experiments they do, it's like, no, you can plant false memories in people very easily. So easily, yeah. Really easily. Yeah. You know, they've done all these experiments where they've, you know, convinced people that they went to theme parks that they never went to, or... You know, that a clown came to their birthday party when there was no clown. Yeah. So it, it, it's quite it's quite a destabilizing thing to really right. delve into because, you, you know, how much of your past is actually your past? Yeah. And how much of your life is just a story that you're telling yourself? So have, I recently, uh, in the last 18 months, bumped into a person I'd had a falling out with about 15, 16 years ago. Mm. And the reason that we had the falling out was pertinent at the time. Mm. And when I bumped into them, I could still see aspects of what happened back then. And I, uh, But I feel like such a different person and that memory feels like such a faded memory mm. that I'm quite happy to have chats with them every few yeah, of course. Months. Yeah, 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 and it's fine. Yeah, of course. And, and I'm a bit fascinated by people who hold a grudge over anything other than something really serious. Totally, totally, totally. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The memory fades. I, uh, uh, I'm very, very close with my first girlfriend from fuck nearly 20 years ago now, uh, and uh, 
couple of years ago, you know, we had a couple of drinks and we started talking about the past. And all of a sudden she was just like, hey, I just want to say, like, I'm really sorry for treating you like shit way back when. And no joke, I literally had to sit there and go, oh, yeah, I know shit went down because I know... I spent about a year and a half totally deranged. Right. Like deranged with grief, sobbing in the streets, mm. out of my mind. Like the but, first breakup is the worst. Yeah, which is hideous. But so much time has passed. I mean, cellularly, I'm not even the same person anymore. Yeah. And it's like, it was. It didn't even feel right to say, oh, I forgive you or yeah. anything. Cause it was like, Ugh, yeah, whatever. But that was, that was yeah. like 12 lifetimes ago. It's yeah. all good. It's all good. It's all good. So it, it's funny. It makes you wonder, what have I held on to that I just didn't, I just don't need to hold on to oh, of course. in regards to someone else. But also, what have I let go that yeah. someone hasn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But also how much you have to exaggerate a story in the retelling of it to yourself to hold on to the grudge. Right. I mean... Like it's an effort. Again, yeah, again, it's that thing of like the performative aspect of retelling a story. You know, often you'll have a, uh, say, a, a minor argument with someone. So say I have a minor argument. You and I had a minor argument tonight. We didn't, but say we did. Okay. Uh, and then the next day, as I'm telling someone, when I'm recounting it, I'm like, and then I said to Justin, da 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 da, and he replied, me 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 me, and suddenly I'm applying a tone yeah. to you that you yeah. probably didn't have. Yeah. But in the telling, you're suddenly much more aggressive. Yeah. Much- in this retelling, I'm sounding like an angry beaker <laughs> from the Muppets. <laughs> But, you know, all of a sudden it's that, and, and again, it's that thing of convincing yourself yeah. that this, the version that you're telling is true. Well, it's not. It's coming through your filter of, A, perception, but then, B, the retelling. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that that's why conflict can be so fucking gnarly. Yes. Because it, it really, um, it all comes down to individual interpretation. And uh, just because you, same with the, the time thing of, you know, I've, it felt like I was waiting for an hour. Just because you felt like you were being affronted yeah. or insulted or disrespected or whatever doesn't mean necessarily you were. Yeah. You might have just been reacting to some past event with yeah. the person or whatever it is. So it's um it's all it's 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 really messy shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um if if you're across it uh Lends itself to making really fun uh, movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this film asks us, what if the one you are following is following you? Mm. And do you have any non-paranoid thoughts on this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I don't f- I don't think I'm interesting enough to follow. You know what I mean? No, I don't know if I am either. Like... Uh, <laughs> Please, please, please keep an eye on me on Twitter and uh, yeah. Instagram just so you know my work. That's the thing. I maintained right. a Twitter account for three years and I yeah. amassed about 700 followers and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm fucking done. Yeah, I don't need it. It's, it's, and they're not even interested, so who cares? Um, I did get some uh, leeway on Twitter today because uh, <laughs> Donald Trump uh, tweeted in capital letters with an exclamation mark, Law and order, Ugh. and then I replied, "Blue healers." And <laughs> I just, I just, there was a part of me that just hoped that he would look at that and, like, think I was on his side. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, there's a part of me that would <laughs> retweeting you. I'm yeah. going to give a shout out to Justin Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, he's right, blue healers. But he's thinking <laughs> that means something else. Um, so let's uh, get into the squid bits. Oh, can I ask you a question before we oh, go to squid yeah, bits? Uh, of course. Have you ever been robbed? Oh, um, knocking on wood. 
you know, I haven't been robbed. Mm. I've had things stolen. Right. But I haven't had someone break and enter right. and, and rob me. But mm. I've had... But the things that have been stolen have been like, you know, when you suddenly go, what happened to every one of my They Might Be giant CDs? <laughs> you know, that kind uh, yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, Someone yeah. has been here yeah. and just gone, oh, I'll take them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'll borrow them. Yeah. yeah I've had that experience. Yeah. I've been... I've been well, I've had two experiences with robbery. Right. Uh, one when I was, God, I was in year two. Uh, and this robbery changed the course of my entire life. Right. Uh, so we used to live in uh, Roseville in New South Wales. Right. Uh, and uh, one day my mother and I got home and it turned out that there'd been a removal truck. This is crazy, man. Right. It turned out there'd been a removal truck outside the house all day and they took everything Jesus. and i mean everything they took my mother's underwear they right. took my school shoes right. they took the posters off the walls like fucking everything the only thing they left was a giant shit in the toilet <laughs> which at the time was awful but oh in retrospect God. is like i don't know there's something very um well, cheeky real... about that well it's uh it's a statement. It's a statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, wow, like real malicious. Um, and so that led to us, you know, me leaving the school that I was really, you know, flourishing at. And, you know, so God knows, like, had that event not oh, happened. Hang on, so why did you have to leave the school? Well, because we moved, we moved suburbs. It was, it was, a, it was because, a very, de- so, uh, like, I was yes. very young, so I don't remember a lot of it. But I remember For it being mom. a very destabilizing, terrifying experience because they, like, broke in, took everything. So and, um, and nobody did anything because it's a removalist van. So people just thought, yeah, yeah, people thought we were moving. Uh, and you know, we have no idea if it was just a random person that had been staking the house out, or if it was, you know, who, like who the fuck knows? Must have uh, been a bit of a job to get everything. They got fucking everything, and you never, it never turned no, no, up again. Never, nothing ever got, you know, nothing ever came of it. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we used to have borders in the house back then. I mean, this was the mid-80s. Uh, you know, so who knows? Maybe it was an ex-border. Who knows? But it was, you know, massively destabilizing event. Uh, much funnier. <laughs> I haven't thought of this in years. Uh, in about, I think, 2000 and I, would, I want to say six. Yeah. I was living in Stanmore. And at the time, very high crime rate in that suburb. A lot of breaking and entering into homes. And I had called in sick one day <laughs> and I'm lying in bed and there's this like, you know, scratching right. at my window and I had these big, thick, heavy curtains. And, um, <laughs> and you know, when you're in that kind of netherworld, yeah. morning, kind of lucid dreaming a bit. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, oh, the scratching's happening in my dreams. But it kept going, kept going. And eventually I'm like, what the fuck? So I get out of bed and like rip the curtains open and there's a guy standing at my window with giant red gloves on, like meatpacking gloves, and a crowbar Jesus. wedged into the bottom of the window. Right. And we both freeze. Yeah. And we lock eyes. Yeah. And it felt like a good 10 seconds of us just yeah. staring at each other. Yeah. And I just went, what are you doing? And yeah. he goes, I'm really sorry. I didn't think anyone was home and then just ran away. <laughs> wow. I, oh, so much better that he didn't get in. I'm really sorry. 
Yeah. I didn't think anyone was home. Oh, well, okay. Well, that's good manners. Like there is there is a level of manners to that. But it was again. It was very. I mean, it was very funny. But it was also fucking terrifying because oh. you know from then on, the, you know there were a lot of phone calls being made to the house, and you would pick up, and the phone would hang up. And so it was like, well, is this like, is this going to happen again? You know, and oh, I mean, I didn't yeah. last much longer in the house, but it was the, uh, very the violation, and that's something they talk about in following yes. that violation. Yes, just that you know, <sighs> and and Cobb is kind of saying like the violation is what makes you suddenly snap back into being alive in the moment. Because yeah. and make you think about your products and your objects that you yeah. hold on to rather than just having them there in the box. Yeah. Away. Like, not justifying it for Cobb, but that's kind of the point he's making. Yeah, I think that's the point. But there's also this thing, of, it's almost like... It's a power Oh, trick man, too. I'll give you all the shit. I don't even care. Just don't come into my fucking room. Oh, yeah. This is my space. Yeah. I think that's the... For me personally, that's the more the thought of the violation than oh, anything. Like, yeah. there's very little in my apartment right now. Yeah. If my apartment burnt down today, you know, I would miss my diaries... I would miss my dead grandfather's fedora and my dead grandmother's glasses. And other than that, it's just stuff, you yeah. know. Of course, I'll miss my books yeah. and my Blu-rays, but all that shit you can reaccumulate. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, I think the, the idea of just some random person rifling through your shit oh, is yeah, deeply yeah. upsetting. Yeah, someone broke into my mum's house after the place that I was raised in. Mm. And, uh, God, they just, like, fucking kicked the door in and stole stuff. And that suddenly changed, you know, mum... Wasn't that long after that that mum moved out? Yeah, with yeah. the psychological destabilization as well, that, and yeah. that's the and that, maybe maybe that's what it is. That that's the true violation. Yeah, it's the it's the it's not even the invasion of the physical space. It's the invasion of my mental space. Yeah, I now I now don't feel safe. Funnily enough, your reaction to that guy apologizing was not even though it plays out differently was not really that dissimilar to when uh, the woman comes home with that guy to Cobb and him just taking control of the situation yeah oh yeah you're finally here this is great uh yeah blah 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 well that's i mean that's something that Cobb does uh lean into well because you know in in the popular imagination you know we have an idea of what a thief is mm. a thief is a sneaky person mm. with shifty eyes that's sliding something into a trench coat or something mm. we don't Imagine a thief to wear a suit yes. and to have their chest out and to be walking with their shoulders back yeah. and very confident. And you know, he, he looks like he smells nice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's got it going. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, uh, I might have in my early 20s had a little dalliance with uh, going into supermarkets and taking things. And, right. uh, you know, that was something that I realised... You know, there was quite a revelation that body language and confidence yeah. is actually, you know, it's actually the more brazen and bold you are is what gets, is what, you know, gets people away with it. Oh, yeah. I remember a friend's boyfriend was mad for stealing shit and he once stole a whole computer. And this is back when <laughs> the, you know, you had the, you know, like the big rectangle and the monitor yeah. and the keyboard. Yeah. And he did it like just putting it in a bag while looking at yeah. the person who worked there. Yeah. And just put it in and 
course. Walked out. Because yeah, when I used to work, I used to work in a department store in the year two thousand, and uh, two guys came in in delivery uniforms, mm. put a TV on a um, trolley, trolley, and they went, "Oh, we're the repairmen." And, and everyone was like, yeah, yeah, "Okay," because again, you don't expect the boldness. Yeah, and they just walked straight out with the thing. No one asked a fucking question. Who who says what they are if they're not exactly? Well, it turns out, crims. Yeah. <laughs> turns out there's an answer to that. Um, some uh, tasty little squid bits for you. I found, um, I actually found a couple more online uh, by accident when I was looking up that thing, but we'll uh, race through these. Um, the policeman is played by the uncle of Christopher Nolan. That's John Nolan. Who also plays Douglas Fredericks? He's on the. You'll recognise him when we get to Batman Begins. He's uh, on the Wayne Enterprise board member. Oh right, okay. yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and I think he's in Dark Knight Rises as well. So, uh, but anyway, he's got to tell you what. Great, great face. Oh, and great voice. Yep. It's like, like he he's probably got like five lines in the movie mm. and you remember him. Yeah. Because definitely. he's, you, you know, he's the actor. Yeah. You know, he's the, he's the one got it going. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nolan deliberately used a non-linear plot structure for the film because this type of storytelling reflects the audience's inherent uncertainty about characters in film noir. So that's sure. the choice for telling okay. it that way. Um, by the way, I thought I'd put this in, and you're probably across this. And I feel like I was across this, but, you know, if someone said to me, can you explain what film noir is? Mm-hmm. I would ramble in explaining yep. it. So for anyone who's wondering what film noir is, it's often used to describe crime stories that have an emphasis on cynical attitudes mm-hmm. and sexual motivations. Mm-hmm. And the 1940s and 50s are often thought as the golden age of American noir. Absolutely. So, so just for anyone who, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the, we bandy about all these terms yep. and I, I just realised I would not have a succinct way of explaining it. But also it. there's a, 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 a real emphasis on shadows and darkness yeah. and, you know. Yeah, well, it, this is interesting. The... Um, Nolan paid for the 16mm film stock out of his own salary and he filmed mainly using available light so he could save money without using professional film lighting equipment. Yeah. And, you you know, uh, yeah. I think that's part of what gives it that really delicious, gritty Yeah, it's it, it, it's grimy. Yeah. There's a grime to it, which yeah. to- totally Grime's suits better. the theme yeah. of, of the film. Yeah, grime is mm. a, a much better description. Yeah. Uh, the movie was designed to be inexpensive with scenes rehearsed extensively so they could capture the moment in one or two takes. Yeah. So I wonder if, you know, being a, being a bit harsh on the acting, like, who knows what they could have gotten with a third take. And, and yeah, considering this is not. the week where everyone's lost their mind that you're not allowed to have chairs at his, uh, in his movies. Have you seen that? No. Oh, Anne Hathaway said that you know, you're not allowed to sit down. And, but it's... it's, it's in, a mi- while making his films? Yeah, but Why? it's a mild exaggeration. Well, his thing is, you're there to work, let's get on with oh, it. Oh, okay, right. But, the mild, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's being blown completely out of exaggeration to the extent that I saw at one point uh, what did they say? Uh, I only looked at it briefly because I thought, oh, fuck off. Uh, people were calling him an ableist. <laughs> you know, and it was just like, mate, hey, hey, <sighs> assholes, guess what? 
there are heaps of things in the world that are legitimately worthwhile being yeah, upset and angry yeah, about. Yeah, this is the hill you're going to fucking Not, die on. Mate, like, fuck off with your chairs. A bit of hyperbole about fucking... Yeah, and it was just... <laughs> like, come on. Probably Anne Hathaway being funny. Anyway, yeah. uh, locations were often friends and family's homes. Mm-hmm. The film won several awards, including the Tiger Award at the Rotterdam International Film Festival. I know that's a, a real award, but it sounds like, you know, in um, I think it's in one of the adverts for Tropic Thunder, and I think it's the movie with Robert Downey Jr. where he plays the gay priest with Tobey Maguire, and I think, doesn't that win, like, The Crying Monkey <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> So I read the Tiger Award and I was like, oh, it's a real award, but I can't help but think of that. Uh, Also won Best First Feature at the San Francisco International Film Festival. Right. uh, And it received a Grand Jury Prize nomination at the Slam Dance Film Festival. Uh, And I'm assuming that's what launched him, you know, the the, uh, license to make Memento. Yeah, yeah. So suddenly you're getting all this uh, nice attention. Sure. Uh, Christopher Nolan came up with the idea for the film because he had his home broken into Uh. and wondered what the people thought as they went around looking at his belongings. Mm, mm. What do you reckon, um, what would his belongings be? (laughs) It'd be pretty nerdy, I reckon. Yeah, Yeah. I reckon it'd be like time pieces and (laughs) lots of watches, lots of typewriters. Um, So the principal photography of the film took one year and that's because all the cast and crew members had other full-time jobs. Mm. So they'd get like 15 minutes of... Uh, footage on a, on a Saturday. Uh, the clock that Cobb steals is the same clock in Memento. Ah. Um, what else is there that I can throw in your way? Uh, they, they've got the, the Batman sticker in this thing here, which is funny. Uh, oh, the alias used by Bill in the bar is uh, uh, is Danny Lloyd. Ah. Uh, it was the well, no, that's of, that's the, the name of the actor. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I thought he said Danny Torrance, but I was I was I was huh? so incorrectly you were halfway correct. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was half a McLaughlin there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That is not going to become a thing that we keep coming back to. You know, in like with the first season of uh, this podcast, and we'd just be talking like, "Oh, squid bits," and that yeah. becomes a thing. That's not going to become a thing. <laughs> Sorry to everyone who was... No one's hoping that would have. <laughs> um, the only Christopher Nolan movie where his wife, Emma Thomas, plays a role. I wonder if she was the waitress when he says... You know what? I don't even know what she looks like. I wouldn't even be able to spot her. Yeah, it's funny. You know You know what I find fascinating about uh, the Nolan brothers? Yeah. They work really closely with their wives. Yeah, they yeah, do, right? Yeah. Lisa Joy does Westworld. Yeah, yeah. like you yeah, know, they, right. they conceived it. They write episodes together, you know, and separately. Isn't and that the dream relationship? Wouldn't oh. that be wonderful? If there's anyone out there who'd like to work on this podcast, who'd like to get married, <laughs> we're ready to go. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought I'd finish with the the movie was made for six thousand dollars. Wow, which is pretty cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I wonder if. You know, I mean, I'm sure everyone has their grand aspirations when they're creating. But God, you got to wonder, you know, when he's making this scrappy little film, did he have any clue? Did he have any inkling that he would become, you know, I mean, he, I think he is arguably the great, you know, intellectual blockbuster filmmaker of our times. Yeah, what um, is he? Well, is he, is he the, um, I wonder if he's, 
I wonder if he's like the new Spielberg. Is he this generation Spielberg? Like Spielberg is um, because it's easy to, in hindsight, yeah, like, like a few years ago, I rewatched ET, mm. and there's a lot more going on in that movie from what my memory of it was, yeah. which like I always loved it when I was a kid. Yeah, but you know, there's a there's a part there's a. I think Spielberg appears to be a really nice man. Yeah. And sometimes his movies can have moments that are borderline saccharine. Mm-hmm. But I don't think E.T. is one of them. I think when you go back and watch no. E.T., that's a story about a child of divorce. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and I think there's a lot more going on with yeah. his films. That I f- and, and, and Nolan, for me, feels like he's the child of... Kubrick and Spielberg. Yeah, that's actually good. Yeah, I think that's great because I don't think that he's as... It's it is almost stupid to say because he's so mega successful. Yeah. But I don't think he's as maybe accessible as Spielberg. No. Just in the sense that I don't think Inception is a confusing movie, but it seemed to be incredibly confusing for people. Yeah. I'm not sure that there's been a Spielberg movie that people have walked out of and gone, what? What the fuck was that about? Uh, maybe fans of Close Encounters when they saw the colour purple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But you know, but no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think um I think that Nolan is making I, I think the analogy works when you when you think about Nolan. He makes great entertainments. Oh yeah, and that's, that are of the twenty first century. Yeah, because I don't think Spielberg translated well. Well, for me, pers- look for me personally, Spielberg has f- maybe four or five great films that I right. love. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean all of his films are perfectly entertaining. Yeah. But for me, there's only a handful that are like. Excellent films, right? Uh, and I don't think post uh, AI, which came out in two thousand, yeah, and I do think that is one of his excellent films. Oh. Uh, pff, fucking, perfect. you know what? Like, uh, we may as well just say it here. At some point, we're going to, as part of Big Squid, we're going to mm. do a whole range of sci-fi movies yes. called Space Podacy. Oh, man, I and can't we're working wait. towards it, and. I vowed never to watch AI again because I nearly went through an early menopause crying at the end of it. <laughs> but maybe that's why we should do it. That ending is not the saccharine ending that people think it is. That is not a at all. dark motherfucking ending. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> but I think post-AI, I'm not... For me, uh, Spielberg's 21st century output is a bit... Uh, a bit hit and miss. Uh, well, I, uh, none of them really yeah. got me. Uh, whereas I think Nolan maybe picked up that mantle in terms of the big blockbuster that is relentlessly entertaining, uh, but has fit more into the times that we live in now, where people are a bit more savvy to big concepts, ideas. You know, like a, a film like Inception or Interstellar, had it been made in the 1990s, would have been, you know, like as confusing as 2001. Right. Because we didn't have the lexicon and we didn't yeah. have the, you know, those ideas weren't in the zeitgeist. Whereas, you know, in whenever they came out, 2012 and 2016 yeah. or 15, whatever it was, um, you know, people, the audience is more literate. Yeah. And so you could make these blockbusters. And I think that's why he is so successful. I think that's why these big blockbuster films that are, you know, they're not, the most intellectual films ever made, but they are heady. 
Oh, yeah. I think he puts a lot into them. And yeah. uh, I think there is, uh, like, my take on it is he, he, it's, it's almost a little bit cool now to be, I, I think that the, around Inception, there suddenly started to get a bit of pushback to mm. him and he started being not quite the indie darling amount amongst the art students out there. And uh, I think it's because he is undeniably populist and yep. he wants everyone to enjoy his movies yep. and he wants to get as many people in there as possible and he wants to dazzle them. He wants to he wants to he wants to give them the feeling that he took when he saw Star Wars. Yep. And he wants to give people something to talk about like when he saw 2001 yeah. and he wants as many people to have that feeling. Yeah. And I think because he's, I like, I reckon if he was American, he'd probably get like, you know, with an American accent, I think he would get lauded, but I think the Americans kind of push back at him because he's perceived British. as this stuffy yeah. British uh, director. But then I think he's kind of pushed back against the stuffy people because, oh, look how populous his films are. Yeah. But when you see interviews with him, he's very gentle and he's very erudite, but yeah. he's a big fan of movies. Like, yeah. he, he talks about how he loves the Marvel movies. Like, yeah. he's not... People are sitting back and casting aspersions on him yeah. while he's sitting back and watching Guardians of the Galaxy. Guys. <laughs> that was great. I had a really good time with that. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what I love about him. And yeah, absolutely. I, and there's, you know... You and I, in particular, are very lucky to have come through a time when, uh, with a lot of popular entertainment that was on the fringes, that wasn't afraid to take big swings. Mm. And we were very lucky to have writers like Alan Moore, mm. Neil Gaiman, Grant Morrison, mm -hmm. Peter Milligan, mm. Jamie Delano. Mm. We, were, we were brought up on that stuff. Yeah. And that stuff was, you know, four-colour comics. Yeah. But they had big ideas that introduced us to, to yeah. other thoughts. And that's like, you know, you, you watch Inception and then you're reading Georges Louis Borges's Circular. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To yeah. try and get an insight into uh, what was going on in that story. Yeah. And it's not, it's not because, it's not being uh, up yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because these are all ideas and he's trying to put them into a compact way that you can enjoy them Absolutely. and have something to have a little chat about afterwards. Absolutely. And you know what? There's, there's not enough of that. Of course. And what the fuck is wrong with being relentlessly entertained? Right. How can you resent it? <laughs> right. I feel like we'd be in a much better place as everyone was a little bit more entertained and yeah. not, uh, not as bored. Well, not just entertained, you know, because like, but I mean, the Marvel movies are entertaining, but I don't, me personally, I don't walk away with any great philosophical insight or food for thought. It's like, oh, that was great. That was popcorn. Yeah. That was a great theme park ride. It was That's not to diminish them. They are what they are. Yeah. But I get that feeling from a Nolan film. Yeah. Plus all the, you know, the great, you know, oh, yeah, wow, imagine you could go down into levels of dreams or you could, you know, go through a black yeah. hole and play with time and all yeah. this great stuff. So, yeah, you know, of course. I mean, it's just that tall poppy thing. Someone hits a certain level of success, oh, yeah. and and you know the the fact that he has not made a um, commercial failure. No, you know, no, I think no, it's no, that no, thing you, where it's like people just want to see the guy fall flat on his face yeah. at some point. People can shit on the Dark Knight Rises, but it made over a billion dollars, and people can shit on Interstellar, but it was a movie that had no IP that made you know around yeah. seven hundred million, yeah. and uh, and he comes in under budget, yeah. and he 
you know, I just practical effects. Yeah, I just want to see him in a position where he can keep making big movies with big ideas that we can all just have fun. Well, what other, I mean, other than Tarantino, what director of the 21st century, basically people don't even need to watch the trailer. They will go. It's an event. You know, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe Paul Thomas Anderson, but uh, that's on... uh, Not really. How much money did Phantom Thread make? Yeah. I mean, I love Phantom Thread, don't oh, get me yeah, wrong. It's, so it's fucking stunning. Yeah, that might be one of my favourite. But I'm not sure people were like, oh my God, Phantom Thread. Well, it's funny, isn't it? So that's kind of like the, uh, you know, he, I think uh, he's he's the one that, oh yeah, you like Nola, well, I like Paul Thomas Anderson. So, hey, guess what? I, I really love Paul Thomas Anderson as well. Yeah. Sounds like he's awful on cocaine compared, uh, have you heard that Fiona Apple story? No. Where she decided she was never going to do cocaine again when she got stuck with Anderson and Tarantino talking about their careers. Oh, oh my God. I'd listen to PTA on coke. Oh, I can't no. listen to fucking, she said I that, can't listen to Tarantino sober, let alone oh on coke. God. Oh my God. Like hearing that story, that made me want to give up sugar. Like that's, <laughs> uh, that's how awful that was. Um, all right. So any, any last thoughts on uh, following? No, no. Look, I'm glad it exists and uh, it's a wonderful launching pad yep. but it's not one that I'm racing to rewatch. Yeah. And uh I'm really looking forward to Memento. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, but I would still um if you're a fan, I think totally. it's still worthwhile checking out. Totally. And if you haven't seen it and you're very fluent in his other films, you do need to uh check your expectations and yeah. and, and understand that it is a a person's debut film and it's on a micro budget with you know people who aren't the best actors in the world and but it's a great first effort but uh check your expectations it's not interstellar and do not uh forget doodlebug three minutes of good fun yeah yeah yeah. and uh for our next podcast uh since it'll be memento we are going to record it backwards so we look (laughs) forward to that you enjoyed the chat about Nolan's first short movie and uh, feature movie. Ben will be back soon and when he returns we will tackle the movie Memento which, uh, spoiler alert, is still fantastic. Maybe even better. I don't know. Can it be better? Maybe it is. Maybe you should watch it and uh, let me know what you think. So thanks to Ben and, of course, Siobhan Coombs for joining me for the episode today. Uh, Remember, we're going weekly with Big Squid now, so if you are enjoying the new format, please give us a nice rating on whichever platform you use to listen to us. You can find more of my writing over at justinhamilton.com.au. There are blogs, there are short stories. And if you feel like having a chat with me and some of the Big Squid listeners, you can either find us at the... Big Squid Facebook page, which anyone can jump on board. Or if you want to go to our conversation page, which is a little... You have to you have to request to join it. But that's just so we can sit somewhere and post spoilers to things and just make sure that everyone's super cool. Uh, so if you would like to come and join us and hide away from the world there uh, and chat with people who love stuff, please come and do so. Everyone should know our pal Emily Lind in the States. So th- this is this is a good place to come and chat to Emily and uh, the rest of the gang. Uh, don't forget to check out the Bureau on the SBS streaming service and let me know what you think of the show or any of the topics we've covered today. Please stay safe out there, not only physically but mentally as well. 
to be honest, I had a particularly bad day yesterday. I've been trying to live my life to some rules of stoicism, that those uh, four rules are find wise people to emulate. Every new day is a new life. Your distractions are your own doing. Review your day. And this morning, I'm feeling much better. And, you know, you have to remember to be kind to yourself. I guess that's the the point I'm trying to get to. And everything's uncertain and everything's bizarre. And who knows what's going to happen in the future. So don't be afraid if you're having a down day. Have a slightly down day. Review your day. Get up the next morning. It's a brand new day. And get right back into it. Uh, It helped me through the last 24 hours and uh, hopefully it will help you out as well. You know what? I'm going to leave you with a quote from one of my favourite artists, uh, Bjork. She said, I never really understood the word loneliness. As far as I was concerned, I was in an orgy with the sky and the ocean and with nature. What a great way of looking at life and uh, approaching your relationship with the world. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.